and welcome to Ignite Your Purpose. I am your host, Karen Zafra-Vera. Join me here every week for your weekly inspiration and guidance call. We're going to empower you, create enthusiasm, plant a seed, to recognize and peel off the layers to see your true, beautiful I am. Our guests will definitely motivate you to take action today, to create a new belief, and ignite your soul for more of this gift of life. So join us today, here. Tune in now. Welcome back to Ignite Your Purpose. I am your host, Karen. The word incredible really does not even measure the conversation, the experience, the knowledge that this woman has. And I have spoken, I've had the opportunity to network with her, to talk with her, but she has shared stories that I had to really bring her into our podcast for our listeners because they're so empowering. And I have learned so much from her just by listening to her story. And I want to welcome Elaine Lindsay to our call today. How are you, Elaine? Thank you so much. I'm great. I'm great. And I'm very honored to be here with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It is, it's my honor to have you. There is so much that I want to share, talk with you, but let me introduce you a little bit more formal here because you have many things that, you know, that I, I want to mention because there's just so much power in it. Elaine has been a three decade. She's been in the digital world for three decades. She has a more experience than most. Um, she shares her wealth of knowledge I love her unique look. Well, I think the first time I met you, Elaine, you had blue hair. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> Elaine speaks on digital integration, social media optimization, and the role your mindset plays within it all. Elaine works with 40 plus and addresses the growing inter- entrepreneurial senior market. She's also been seen on CTV Ottawa, the new RO, CBC, Mashable and live on the comedy stage of Yuck Yuck Ottawa's <laughs> and at Don't Quit Your Day Job Comedy Club. So phenomenal. Her <laughs> articles have been published in Marketing Media and Money Magazine, Brains, Women, Rock Magazines, Online Footprint Magazine, and so much more. On the personal front, Elaine hosts a suicide survivor podcast and speaks on resilience, tenacity, never giving up and living a gratitude attitude. So welcome. I can't say how much and how amazing it is to have you here. I have to thank you so much because uh, you truly make me sound wonderful. I I think I want to meet you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You are So let's begin. Let's begin with my question, usually for my guests are, what has been something so impactful in your life that has shifted and that you are now the person you are today because of it? And I know that you have a number of things, Elaine, so I'll let you begin where you want. All right. And yeah, it it is kind of convoluted. And, And the fact is, I'm 66 years old. So there's been a lot of living done yes. over all these decades. But I, I will say this, I do have to give you a little bit of history so that the moment makes sense. When we talk about the moment, the first time I say it to people, people look at me like I've lost my mind. Because when I say the most impactful, most wonderful thing that ever happened to me was being chased down and hit by the car of a road rage man, mm. most people think I've totally lost it. But in fact, let's, let's go back. So at a very early age, when I had just turned 16, I lost one of my dear friends to suicide. And unfortunately, I did not deal with it well not well at all. My family took me home to Scotland for a while, hoping that that might help. And in fact, it didn't. And uh, not le- not even four years later, I had completely done a 180. I was no longer in school. I was married. I had a child. I had lost another child who died the day she was born. We're now in 1976. I am pregnant again. 
and I have a multiple vehicle accident on the highway, which happened to be right in front of my friend Andrea, who died. It was right in front of her grave. Wow. That's part of the reason I believe I'm here. But it wasn't the pivotal moment for me because along with losing part of my leg and my seven months pregnant uh, child, I also uh, had massive internal injuries. I broke both of my legs in multiple places, fractured my skull on and on. The next five years was constant surgery, 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 had lots of skin grafting and other things, was left with a big hole in my left leg. All of that to say uh, I was in pain 24-7, and quite frankly, I was not a nice person, okay? Mm -hmm. Pain does not make you pleasant. And You know, some people can rise above it. Well, I will say back then I was incredibly immature, did not rise above it. I just sunk right into that pain. And I was, I think, a pretty miserable human being. I went on to have more surgery that my family was against, and it went even worsely wrong than the accident, which put everybody in the family in a very precarious place. It was difficult for not just our family, but my parents. It was very, very hard on my husband. He had two small children and was trying to bring up his kids. I uh, died twice in the process of them trying to undo all the mess they had made. And it became, for the next 25 or so years, I was a chronically ill person in and out of hospital that the kids could basically look at. There wasn't an awful lot I could do with them for sustained periods. Mm-hmm. This became sort of just the, the, the norm for us, okay? I was chronically ill and I just you know, tried to get through every day. I was on a a ridiculous amount of pain medication. I was maybe a little less miserable than I had been. I adore my children. I adored my husband, our family, and I'm a major animal lover. So we always had animals around. And I think that allowed me to to maintain somewhat of a, a soft side. I have an incredibly bent sense of humor. And that more than anything, I think is what got me through all Absolutely. of the, the pain and the surgeries. And, and we're talking way double digits by this point. So we ended up going through a malpractice suit, which inevitably, in the end, we actually lost on sort of weird technicalities. And that became yet another burden. This one was financial. Sorry? Le- Elaine, this was um, due to the complications from the surgery? Yeah, yeah. The doctor had, unbeknownst to us, he was already being investigated because he killed two people. There was a small segment. He was doing this sort of uh, experimental surgery. There were only 37 people in the trial of this surgery. And um, the two he killed before me, they were, I guess, looking at him and he had been warned. So when things went horribly wrong in my surgery, rather than telling us, he tried to cover it up. He wrote multiple surgical reports. To this day, nobody knows who did what or where or what's really true about what they did do because his surgery reports are are so bizarre. Uh, We know for you know, the next 20 odd years, every so often, some metal would finally burst through my chest or somewhere on my abdomen after a few months of pain. And that too became sort of the norm for us. You never knew when I would crash next and what would be the next thing that sent me off. Because in your digestive system, when they cut the vagus nerve, it affects everything, Mm -hmm. absolutely everything. And because he tried to cover it up so much, nobody else, it didn't matter what hospital we went to, the hospital that had uh, he was the doctor at wouldn't pass on the medical records. So nobody knew what they were looking at. They didn't understand. You know, I told them this is what they did. And that really wasn't what they were seeing. It didn't all gel for us, actually, until about five years ago. But In the late 90s, I was coming to, I guess, some kind of realization within myself. And I started just kind of questioning, can this be all there is? Is this all we get in life? Because Mm -hmm. I I kept feeling that I was missing an awful lot. 
So it, it comes to a day during the week. My daughter and granddaughter have come for a visit. They come from London, Ontario. So it's like eight hours away. And my son goes to Air Cadets. He was, I think, uh, about 12. We decided to go early for dinner so we could take him to Air Cadets. And Marilyn, who at that time was just three and a half about, you know, we could get her home in time. And my husband was at work, so he wasn't with us. And we came out of the restaurant. It was very cold and snowy. It was in the winter. And um, it was, I guess, November. Yeah, late November. And um, as we came up the aisle of the parking lot, you know, when you walk down the, uh, the middle aisle of a parking lot, there's cars on either side of you. And we had my granddaughter between my daughter and I, and she was swinging on our hands. Mm-hmm. And my son was on the other side. And I happened to look up and the car directly in front of me started backing out. And I realized the driver wasn't looking behind him where we were. He was looking straight ahead. So I thought, well, I'm this close. And I knocked on the trunk of his car and kind of, hey, we're here. And we stopped. He stopped the car. So we started to walk. We didn't get more than three steps. And this giant man was barreling out of his car, bellowing at the top of his lungs. F word, this F word, that you bitch, blah, blah, blah. Can't you people wait? Blah. And he was just like insane. And my daughter said, like, there's a child here. What is wrong with you? And I said, look, you're mental. Get back in your car and get lost. And Mm -hmm. we kept walking. And we're shaking our heads like, what on earth was this about? He was he was a big guy. So our car was probably, I don't know, four to six cars passed on the same side. And by this point, we're, we're talking to each other again. And my daughter, I, I think my daughter went to one door and my son may have gone towards the other. And I just heard some people and I looked up as the lights hit me in the eye and I realized It was a car. So I stepped in front of the kids and it was the man. He had driven up the parking lot and turned his car in to drive in into, I don't know, my kids, my car, whatever. Oh my God. And I was not having any of that. I stood in the way and ended up on the hood of his car. He backed up with me on his car. And it's, it's funny to me now because it was, it was just so surreal when it was happening. And all these people are kind of surrounding his car, telling him to stop. And thank God they did. Um, I'm already not very mobile. My legs are the worst pieces on me. They are so damaged and have been for so long. And I kept thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> I don't want to slide to the ground because I'm not getting up again. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I just kind of lay there and um, they got, my doctor happened to be in that plaza. Somebody ran to get a doctor and it turned out to be mine. Other people came around, but when the policeman got there, turns out he was a fellow, I think they're called uh, Knights of Columbus with the gentleman who hit us. I was awfully chummy with him and barked at my daughter who was very upset because the ambulance still wasn't there. Turns out that the big man had been in the same restaurant we were drinking at the bar. But uh, the policeman didn't bother taking the breathalyzer or doing any of that because he was a good old boy. And all of that could have just had me getting even meaner and nastier within the pain. And yet, as I at this point, kind of sat there with the ambulance drivers in the ambulance. All I could think was, wow, uh, this is too bizarre. All these weird things in my life, all this bad stuff, this, this can't be all there is. And you know, when you look at things, you look for the common denominator. Yes. Well, all the fingers are pointing back at me. And I just sat there in that ambulance and thought, oh my God, you know, I, I don't know how. I don't know why, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to stop. This can't be my life. You know, I want to say there's just, it's just so mind blowing to hear something this tragic, right? And there's so many beautiful things at the same time. And 
in in such a sad and dark story. One of them is first of all the love of a mother. Yeah. You know, you it's just it's unquestionable. And two, the fact that I think that with the tragedies that you had experienced up until that point, not even the tragedy, right? Most people would have already checked out. They would be like they would be asking questions to, you know, what is the point of living? I keep experiencing nothing but tragedies in my life. What is my purpose? I have no purpose. Like I'm, I was born to suffer. Uh, you know, I can only imagine, obviously, because I haven't experienced anything like that. I can only imagine the questions that are so common to most people when they're going through tragedies and Again, that powerful question for you to have experienced the tragedy and still not be, you know, putting up the flag like I'm done. It can't really get any worse. Yeah, not let's let's take a beat there. Right. This this is but you asked the question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did. You asked the question, which was this is where my my where I was leading to. You asked the question of, you know, what is what is it here that I what is the common denominator? Yeah. Which most people don't even get to that question. But see, see, I hear you and I hear you saying, you know, people think about what what is my purpose? I think I was so in my estimation, so shallow and so wrapped up in my own pain. Mm-hmm. Okay. The two things happened here. And the other one, I didn't even acknowledge for 90, another almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. But in Andrea dying, when I was 16, she gave me the best, worst gift a human could give another. And that's being on the other side, being one left behind. Because I knew exactly what it felt like. Mm -hmm. And trust me, there were a million times between the accident and Mm -hmm. this happening that I was ready to check out. And not because, not because I wanted to check out, not because I wasn't invested in those around me, Mm -hmm. because I just wanted the pain to stop. Right. Just just one day would have been amazing, but you don't get that option. You want the pain to stop, it's got to stop. But every time, Andrea was right here. Oh yeah? Hey, what did you think of me when I did that? How are you gonna how are you gonna do that? Would you do that to the kids? Would you do that to your husband? Wow. See how and and it was a constant like a little earworm. That was constant because I'll tell you, we're not talking one or, or two or three maybe times. We're talking often mm-hmm. because as humans, we can only handle so much pain. And, and the humor, it really is, okay, the best medicine because it allows you to get past some of the worst crap so that you can go on for another minute, another wow. hour another day and sometimes it is only that minute yeah but by the time yeah by the time I I was in that ambulance I knew that coming back from whatever was going to be there was a lot of research that had to be done I had to find out what else there was because it just couldn't be bad after bad after bad after bad and I was acknowledging I think within that I have beautiful children I have a wonderful husband I have an incredible family that you know we came to this country with next to nothing my, my father had one little box of china that's all we were able to bring with us when we came to Canada and you know it's not a lot but he brought myself, my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt, and we made it work. And I think I'm pretty lucky. I think I had an incredible childhood. I only had one sister. I just lost her at the end of October. And uh, she was five years younger than me. So we certainly didn't expect that. But 
you know, she too, she, she made it through cancer for 24 years. She lived after stage four melanoma. We're a pretty tough crowd, our family. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The tenacity and resilience, I think, comes from a deep well of Scottish stubbornness. And I'm Scots-Irish, so yeah. I mean, the stubbornness just can't get any higher. <laughs> oh my and, goodness. And the bottom line, it seems to be, if you can laugh at yourself, even in the worst of situations, if you can turn it around and laugh at yourself and let others laugh with you, then you can get through pretty much anything. And Elaine, minute, how do you find how do you find the laughter okay well for one example um when i was in the hospital uh i think it was after the the second time i i died on the table uh everybody was super like nervous and and hushed and and I couldn't move a lot in the bed and I couldn't do a lot because uh, I had uh, my neck was cut open. I was feeding through a tube in my side. I had that for over a year. But so I was not someone you could even like hug. (laughs) You -hmm. couldn't really get near me. And I had on a, a lovely blue gown in the hospital, which which sounds like not a big deal. But when you're as so white, I'm so white, I'm blue. So with this blue gown, it was kind of like, oh, wow, a little stain on the bed. <laughs> my, my friend, one of my best friends was there. And I had asked that, oh, for God's sake, at least paint my nails. They ended up having to cut my hair off because it was just a matted mess. Mm-hmm. But I said, at least paint my nails, make me feel human. <laughs> and she brought in blue nail polish. <laughs> And I said, oh, good. Yeah, you're going to make me all, all of me look dead. To which she started crying. I said, well, what the hell are you crying for? I'm the one that hurts. <laughs> so she's painting my nails. And, you know, there's that all this personality food. is already within you. Yeah. It's and I just thought already. it was funny. Yeah. Like, come on. Some of, some of these things. And on my right side I had a big tube that came out of my right side with a bag on it to this day we're not quite sure where he went but he went with me everywhere I went for like seven months so I called him you go because you go where I go (laughs) like you have to work with what you have (laughs) I love that yes that's so I'm not really a prop comic but you know yeah you you do what you You can what you have at the moment, yes. Yeah, and, and it makes it easier for people to be around you. Because trust me, you're in the hospital for months and months. People yeah. don't really want to be there. Absolutely. There's, you can only say so much to someone lying in a bed. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> how's your day going? Oh, well, the bed's lumpy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to say? So it, it's it, being able to break the 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 tension for people because there, there is a certain tension did you um, find yourself did you find yourself trying to in other words did you find yourself um denying your emotion to try to help others with their emotions all my life yes all my life i have always felt I needed to protect people yes just, I guess the, the kind of person that I must am. that must have felt very draining it's exhausting it's absolutely exhausting and mm-hmm. um after after the big huge man that's how we term everything in our lives after the big huge man um by 2004 I finally uh, I had been offered a chance to go meet this woman who I was told was phenomenal. She was a channeler, blah, blah, blah. And I knew about her for three years by that point. And everybody had said, you know, because I had I had started reading the, the Ninth Insight and the Four Agreements and, and anything I could get my hands on. I read because I wanted to understand, like, why? 
why are these things the way they are? And how do I make it better for all of us? Like this, this can't be why we're here. And, and it's really not. But as I learned about this person, there was this terrible fear inside. Because I really thought I was the devil incarnate. I thought I was such a monster. It just, you know, our head plays tricks. And I figured if I met this person, she was going to see through me and see what a horrific human being I was. And that would be it. And then everyone would know and there would be no help. And um, after five minutes when I met her, she said, oh, my God, you don't even have a black rim on your hat. Because she saw and, and understood where I was coming from. And, Elaine, do you feel that this image that you had of yourself, which was, it was obviously a very dark image. Yeah, yeah. Can you say that that would be the, the horrible, uncomfortable, the horrible comfortableness that we as human beings prefer to stay in because we know how it functions and how it works instead of getting uncomfortable? Um, yes and no, because just by the very nature of who I am, right. okay, I think before we came on the program, I was saying it's, I, I realized even as a child, um, I am what the, I now know is called a polymath. I have, as I say, the attention span of a gnat. And I understand that if I can do, you know, three to five or five to 10 things in a day, I can keep my focus. I can keep my energy up. I can be interested mm -hmm. because I'm not just focusing on one thing. That works wonderfully for lots of people. Right. It does not work for me or people like me. Right. And, and being able to then shift that focus, mm -hmm. okay, made a difference. So being uncomfortable for me is comfortable. Exactly. I want to learn more. I want to do something different. I don't want to, I don't, I don't drive the same way twice. Even going down my it's street. So, it's, it's so, it's so insane. And it, it's so um, shocking. In, into a certain form because it is so aligned with the person that you are yeah yeah compared to anybody else it's just it's just it's such a huge opposite you are completely the opposite of most humans yes because most humans do want comfortableness yeah. and they can be miserable in their comfortableness, but because they can predict what they're going to eat, how they're going to make their money, what they're going to feel, they prefer to be in that type of habitat, right? I, I know, and and I married the opposite. one of those, and I married one of those. You married well so, that you had to create the balance. Well, it, and we don't we don't have balance. There is a constant battle of wills. Yes. And we understand it. Like he will say first thing in the morning. So what are we going to have for dinner? It's <laughs> the hell out of me. I could change my mind. My husband. <laughs> yeah. From nine o'clock in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon, uh -huh. I could decide we're having six different things. <laughs> when the kids were little, very often it was, well, let's take them to a restaurant. Because yeah. for one, for over a year, I couldn't eat. Mm. So it was easier to go with him to a restaurant, watch everybody else eat, have a good time. Okay, oh. so, so there was that. But also the choices. And, and I, think, I think that's part of it, too. Because if mm -hmm. you can't eat or drink, oh, my God, suddenly the stupidest things are wonderful. Oh, my God, a popsicle. Or oh. Oh, a glass of milk. Let me tell you. When you have a hole in your neck and you wear a bag to catch the stuff out of that hole, hate, hate to get graphic, but milk is not the thing you want to drink. 
God. Oh my God. Oh that, my it's sad. It's it's messy. Oh yeah, <laughs> awful. Only did that one once. <laughs> Elaine, now that you're mentioning in regards to eating and having your family go to restaurants, I mean, there's so there's so many variables to our conversation. And I know we can only hit certain, but um, I'll ask this because it came to my mind. How did you feel? Were you, because it, it, it doesn't seem like you played much of a victim mode. I know that we all play victim modes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I understand that. How did you handle, did you miss not being able to eat? How did you handle the living in this supposedly regular life with your family, but you being the person that can't experience absolutely 90% of it. it? It was so surreal at the time. And I'll give you an example. It, well, apologies to Ralph and his car, but <laughs> I, I lost an awful lot of weight. Um, after the surgeries and and you know you don't eat for a year until you get back on onshore you definitely don't put any weight on or anything and I hadn't seen my friends in a very long time my good friend said they had set it up that her boyfriend or they they might have been married by that point um, he was going to come and pick me up and bring me out to her place for for an hour so that I could get out and the we had a housekeeper and there was a, a VON nurse who didn't mm -hmm. dress my wounds and everything and and you know change my all my tubing and what have you and I had what's called a stopcock in my side and you would lock it and it would stay in my side and that's where I got my feeding stuff from okay but sometimes the stopcock would fall out or it would open or, and, you know, it goes into your small intestine. So it's not pretty. So I'm all excited. I have not seen my friend now in seven months. I want to go show her me, the new me, as far as I was concerned, put on a lovely French vanilla cream colored boucle dress. And a very light little raincoat because it was a bit chilly. And I got in her boyfriend's ragtop Mercedes. It was beautiful caramel color oh with God. all light caramel upholstery. Oh Drive out to her place. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this by myself to get out of the car. So I get out of the car and I didn't look back at Ralph. And I hit the doorbell and I opened my coat. Lois opened the door and I went, ta-da! And Lois went, oh my God! And I looked down and my lovely cream dress was a disgusting bile yellow. Oh my God. And there was a ton of bile on a trail all the way to the Mercedes where there sat a very uncomfortable Ralph looking at his upholstery thank oh god it was leather because it was really a mess oh my goodness <laughs> ta -da! that ta-da was like oh dear god oh my god those are, those are the times that now I can look back and laugh my ass off mm. at that moment I was crushed because I had you know it had taken me eight months to get out of the house for an hour <laughs> to try and and be a normal human and I think that's that's part of yeah you can't say I wasn't a victim there was lots of times I I think I rolled in the victimness I human really nature. did yeah yeah human nature. Uh, yeah it, it took a lot to to get to a point where it was like you know what no and I never told anybody any of this until 2013 Nobody, only the people who were involved in our family, the people who were really close, knew anything about this because I was a very private person and I felt that I had done these things to my family by putting them in there a There was a sense of shame. Oh, a huge sense of shame and, and guilt 
and and it, it just the stigma of of all of what had happened and it being what I felt was brought on by me, mm. which included the loss of my children. It was all just this, yeah, I, I wore it like this huge cloak and um, I kept it so deep inside. In 2013, I, to, to this day, uh, a friend won tickets to a weekend retreat. She said she didn't want to go alone. Would I please come with her? I said to my husband, well, I know the person that's doing it. They were kind of famous in the local area. They would have good connections. I thought, okay, why not? And within three hours of going to this retreat, somebody asked the right question and the story came shooting out of me. Wow. And yeah. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about, you know, how things perfectly align. When when you open yourself to the universe. Absolutely. Okay. Because that next day, the end of the retreat, I sat there and everyone said, you, you have to tell this story. You could help people. Mm. And I thought, who wants to hear this disgusting story about all this? Oh, no. And I, and I said, well, if, if, that's, if you think that, then universe, I'm all yours. What do I do? And within two weeks, somebody reached out who was putting on this big women's conference. Mm-hmm. And I was in social media. She had a social media person, so I didn't know why she was reaching out. She didn't either, which was really funny. And we got together, we met, we talked for a few minutes. And again, she asked a question and I opened up, which I never did. And she said, I want you to keynote my, my uh, thing in September. Wow. And so I went and uh, met with a speaker coach, uh, one in Canada, Steve Lowell, who's very well known internationally, who was incredible. And then I spent a day with Lisa Nichols in wow. Dallas. Yeah. And between the two of them, they, they taught me not to tell my story, to show people what I lived. Mm. And Steve Lowell said to me, do not get on that stage with anything you have not claimed victory over. Wow. I didn't, I didn't understand what he meant back then. I really that is didn't. so powerful. Oh, that it is really so is. so powerful. Yeah. So and powerful. If, if you see the, the recording of the first time I told my story. It's pretty raw. <laughs> it's pretty raw. So what do you think, what shifted for you at that retreat? There was, there's something that had to shift in you in order for you to even open up, as you said, to the universe, show me, you know, so that I can be, yeah. what was that shift internally for you? Well, it's funny. I think it must have been coming since 2004, since I found that, by the way, my spiritual advisor, my son has nicknamed her the the holistic missile (laughs) because she gets right to the heart of of what's going on with his mother. And um, I think since, since connecting with her, I knew inside I was meant to do something outside of me. But people for, you know, since, since uh, 2013, oh my God, you should be writing a book. You should write a book. You should write a book. It's like, oh my God. And one person who I I really respect said, oh, oh, but don't tell people all the yucky bits. Mm. And, And I kind of backed off for a bit. And then I had a comedy coach. I actually had two of them uh, before I dove into comedy. And they both said, no, you got to be you. You've got to be you. And, and that, without those bits, 
this you're not showing anybody anything absolutely yeah absolutely i so agree with that because it's part of who you are if you weren't to express those bits yeah the yuckiness yeah it's it's who you are it's it, it identifies it creates laughter in you yeah it creates the yeah absolutely yeah I, you know I, I was just saying to somebody yesterday um over in europe we we were talking about you know normal stuff our family our husbands and blah 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 and at one point i said you know and one of the one of the the odd traits about me why i do well with computers is because i'm painfully literal and as we're talking, I said to her, so when I tell you I'm having a shitty day, that is not a euphemism. <laughs> Sorry to your audience, but it's oh absolutely God. true. There's no euphemism there. <laughs> oh, my God. That is amazing. That's so funny. Oh, my gosh, Elaine. There's just so much for us to dive in. Um, I think my next question would be. And I, I know that this version of you, this, this truth of you, right, where you got to almost embrace the real person that was born, how do you see, like, what is the biggest lesson now that you can look back at who you were and who you are now? I mean, I know it's day and night. But what would be the most impactful, um, what would you say to that version of your, what would you say to our listeners now? What was the biggest shift in you personally to be able to now look back at both versions and see as a third, as a third party come looking in? I think in, in the end, in just the past couple of years, not only do I acknowledge Andrea giving me the best worst gift possible, mm -hmm. but I'm using that in the suicide podcast because without, and, and I would have given anything to not have Andrea leave us. And yet in her leaving, I have been encouraged to stay over and over and over you've had her as your angel your guardian angel not just my angel but prodding me mm -hmm. consistently to stay and even my spiritual advisor who, who knows all of, of that says it's funny because that's always you know i always have i always had one foot out the door until about five years ago wow. it was always that you know some of me was was ready to go i'd had it there's always days where you have enough the pain hasn't ended i've just been able to handle it better right you know i, I because I now myself, you see it differently well i see it differently but also i meditate and i still have to take narcotics pain medication i call myself a functional junkie but um it's way way less than it ever was and there's much more meditation than anything else mm -hmm. so so that's a good thing and yeah which again and, they're tools that you weren't using in the past exactly you know as i learned to use these tools as i got more tools of visualizations and different things that i could mm -hmm. use instead then it was okay. Yeah, I can do this. And, and the bottom line is to me, when, when it gets so horrific that you are ready to check out, okay, now, whether it's a nap, a 10 minute nap, or you go to bed at night, you know, you're so angry at your significant other that you just can't imagine mm -hmm. having to go on or you go on or what have you. First of all, never go to bed without kissing your significant other goodnight. And when you wake up from that nap or that, that sleep at night, the first, I don't know, 10 seconds as you're waking up, 
you got a clean slate. Yes, you do. There's nothing, okay? You're waking up into brand new. The world's new, the day's new, your breath is new, everything's new. You can choose to reinvent yourself every single day. That's so powerful. And, and that's how I'm here talking to you. Not every invention is good, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're so right. And it's, um, you know, I'm one to, to I, I, I say, and, I, and I, I remind my clients, you get to choose and create your next minute, your next second, your next five minutes, your next day. We are always in creation mode. Absolutely. It's a choice. It is a choice. It's always a choice. And I don't want any of your listeners to think I'm this really good person because I'm not, okay? I'm, I'm horrific on the road. I, I do not suffer fools gladly. I abhor stupidity. I have a million opinions and I don't always keep them to myself. So even when you become somewhat enlightened and accept that being conscious is better and humanity is absolutely worth it. Uh, you still have bad days. Yeah. <laughs> you just want people to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. That's so powerful. It's so good, Elaine. Um, you know, it, it's part of, it, it, you know, at the same time, it's part of always like knowing that there is always something better out there. It's acknowledging, it's um, recognizing that, you know, with that choice, you can create something better. Not only that, but if you start noticing what's around you, the gifts that are all around us, okay? We went out this morning to get my father's groceries and our groceries. My dad's 89. So since the pandemic, we've been doing the groceries. And we go out the front door and there's a robin. Hmm. Now, I know most people go, yeah, and? Well, that signifies to me, spring is here. All these feet of snow that I'm looking at, don't care. There's a robin right there. And later in the drive, I saw another one, which wow. tells me that spring is just, just on the horizon. That's and nice. for that, I am grateful. I am so grateful. As simple as just seeing that, right? Seeing yeah. the robin. And and again, even if you even if somebody was not aware that that's the sign of spring or what you create out of it, just the fact that you see a beautiful robin. The smallest little things to be grateful for. And I truly believe and it's one of the things that I also do with my clients is I I, I like to implement. I like for them to implement this sense of gratitude. Gratitude changes so much for us. And the moment that we tap into that gratitude and we make that more of a of a habitual behavior yeah. constantly, yeah. we start to see more of that abundance and that beauty Absolutely. all around us, right? Yeah. I Do remember, you know, um, go ahead. It was to say the coolest thing in the world. And and my husband, my husband just puts up with it. But um, wherever I go, and this can be grocery shopping or two weeks ago, I was in the Caribbean, people on board ship, people in, in the towns, whatever. Mm -hmm. I say hello to everyone, whether they have earbuds in or not, I'll make a wave so that they can see it. Some people respond, some people don't. And sometimes people give you this look of, oh my God, you see me. Yeah. And it's. It's this amazing gift. I can't even explain the, the wealth of, of gratitude that you feel and how much more comes at you the minute you open yourself yes. to gratitude. Just open yourself and just, just be aware. It's amazing. it's amazing. It is. It's amazing. And you start to see things with a different set of eyes. Yeah. And I think that alone, when you start to become aware that you're being grateful, you start to change everything within you and around you. 
how you even approach things, how you think of things, how um, things will influence you. There's a different vibration. I think gratitude, and I believe gratitude, is the foundation to change and abundance in your life. And, and you can have gratitude and yet be going through misery. Absolutely. But then your misery is at a level that is almost like a higher level of misery because you are living in the gratitude, right? It's like there's different levels of feeling of emotions. And by doing gratitude, if you feel it differently, therefore it's being influenced differently to you, which means your actions and your response to it is differently. It's just a magnitude. And on a scientific level, Okay, there's more dopamine. It, yes. it is flooding your brain with all the good hormones and, and all the things that make us feel good. Mm-hmm. And just think you can do that for yourself at Absolutely. any time about anything. Absolutely. No, this, this is my favorite cup. It says Glamma. Uh, there. Uh, came from, from the Glam Kids. <laughs> just Looking at that when I make my coffee every morning. Yeah, it brings us. It just, it makes me, it makes me smile. It fills me with love and gratitude. Yes. That, that I have that opportunity. Yeah. Because not everybody does. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, whatever our blessings are, be thankful for them. Absolutely. Whatever they are. Because they will, they will increase as you increase what you're grateful for. You know, you've shared so many amazing things, Elaine, here. Um, first of all, is just, you know, for our listeners and however this has impacted this story, this um, Elaine story has impacted you, you know, know that you're, you're not alone mm-hmm. and that there is someone always out there to support you and help you and guide you. Um, and that you don't have to go through this alone. And I think that was a big thing with you. You had your family, but also whether they are alive or not, you had this amazing friend always pushing you and guiding you through it. So sometimes we limit ourselves of how we experience life because we think we know what it needs to look like or how it needs to look like. And your story is a perfect example that it didn't even have to be with your children, with your husband, with the people around you, that there was a strength, an invisible strength that supported you and guided you and empowered you in those moments of bottom, like hitting rock bottom, <laughs> right? Because even with the support that you may have physically, they can never... And you may never communicate how bad or where in that rock bottom you may be. Well, well, not only that, I think it's really important for your audience to know something that I learned uh, through convoluted over the years, but no one else can feel your pain. Mm. No one else has your perspective. Now, in my case, I've got a lot of different pains to draw from. So I have perspective on a lot of different kinds of pain. But if, for instance, okay, you've gone through your life and the worst thing that ever happened was that you stubbed your toe, that pain is the worst case scenario in your life. And I cannot take that away from you. Mm-hmm. If that is your experience and your perception of pain, it may be beyond your capacity to manage. And I just, I can't judge that. I can't right. judge anything somebody else does. But that perspective, understanding that, you know, we all have different thresholds of pain. We all have different attitudes and, and what have you. But just understand that there is no way for another to take your pain, whether they want to or not, or 
to quantify your pain and mm. their pain. That's just not feasible. And therefore, that's what makes your story so incredibly powerful. Elaine's story and your story. And when I say your, I'm talking to our listeners. Your story is unique. And we're not meant to keep our stories to ourselves. We're meant to share them because others, as you have experienced here, you learn and you grow and something grows within you with listening to other people's stories. And when you tell your story, it's a you healing get to process. lighten your burden a little. Yes. And it's healing. It is it's healing. healing. It's healing because it is. It's acknowledgement. Half of the time when I feel that we don't heal something is because it has not been paid attention to in the way it needs to be paid attention to. And and another thing that I learned is you have to, you also have to protect yourself a little, even Mm -hmm. from your own stories. And I think that's part of what Steve meant by being victorious over, because um, if you don't mind, I will say sort of one last thing here. Absolutely. In my car accident, a policeman uh, was holding the other booster cable between the cars with me. He was over six feet tall. I'm barely five foot two. He saw the lights hit the curve and dived into a snowbank, saving himself. I was still on the road. So when the cars came together, I was crushed between the cars. He did not intentionally do that. His lizard brain took over because we are meant to survive. Mm-hmm. But it took me 39 years to understand that. And I understood it when all of a sudden at an event, I suddenly was having a daydream about being in a zombie maze with my 12-year-old granddaughter. And when we came around the corner, there was a butcher, a zombie butcher with a great big cleaver behind this big slab and it was dripping with, you know, fake blood. And this is all fake, right? Right. And he comes around the slab towards us and I offer up my granddaughter. I get behind her. And as I'm doing it, I'm looking down at my arms going, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) Like, oh my God. And she's going, grandma, what are you doing? And in my head, it's like, this is not real. What is wrong with you? But that's how powerful our lizard brain is in trying to get us to survive. Oh my gosh, that is so- And as I replayed that, that most horrific event in my life, I realized that policeman never had a chance. He, he did not intentionally. Now, I believe in his shame and guilt is why he never came to the hospital in all those months. Mm-hmm. And we, we never heard or, or saw anything from him. And, and I do get that now. But after those 35 years, I was able to forgive him because it was the young man who hit my car that went and called an ambulance. Because back in 76, we didn't have cell phones. Mm-hmm. We had to run up the highway to a house and wake people up uh, to make a phone call. Wow. And, and seeing that now and understanding, you know, the hardest person to forgive, all of that story was to say the most difficult one to forgive is yourself. Absolutely. And that's what took me the longest. Mm-hmm. But we've been there, done that. And we're grateful for My that. Goodness, Elaine, thank you so much for being here. There's so much. There was so many nuggets in this story. Um, it's almost like uh, we need to do a part two just to, you know, <laughs> just emerge in, in more of um, the so many teachings in this. Thank well, you so much for sharing your story. I know that you've made a difference today and made a difference in every person that listens to your story. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. So how do how can um, our listeners find you? Well, um, you can find me, Elaine Lindsay, um, anywhere online. I'm at the corner of search and social. Uh, 
<laughs> you can also find me uh, now with a company called We Do. And um, for your listeners, if you want to give them a link, it's uh, get we do today and I'll give you the link so that you have it. Absolutely. It's a phenomenal new uh, product that is an app that gives you the possibility of communication and video and audio and finance all together. So freelancers and professionals can work and get paid in real time. Awesome. And do it all within the digital sphere, which is great. And you can also reach out on Truel Social or simply elainelindsay.com. Thank you, Elaine. So good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. It was an honor to have you here and have um, be able to share this story. Well, it was an absolute honor to be with you, Karam. I really do appreciate it. And I just want to say to you and the audience, make the very best of your today every day. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us for next week's inspirational guest. You can follow me, Karam Zavravera, in all your social media platforms or email me at leapandbelieve at gmail.com.